This is the whole council. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Chuck Baggett. I'm here today with Teddy James. And Teddy, it's sinus season in Mississippi. It's also baseball season. That's a good thing. (laughs) It is a fantastic thing, which is why I had to wear my Braves shirt. John wore his goofy uh, New York Yankees cap a few weeks ago. I was off camera. I couldn't say anything. So I thought, I have an opportunity here. I'm going to be on the podcast with Chuck. And I'm kind of I'm kind of sad you didn't wear your Cardinals. I don't own so, any Cardinals gear. Okay, hint, hint. there you go, <laughs> listeners. Um, there you go. <laughs> no. So, um, but yeah, so I had to do something to represent my Braves. There you go. Well, um, last week we began talking about elders and deacons and the importance, really, last week, the importance of considering this and the importance of a life. We, we looked at qualifications for elders, not individually, but the necessity of those qualifications of character over against giftedness, giftedness being important, but we tend to, it's easy for us to look to that first and give undue weight to that and forget about the character of the life. A few quotes very briefly. Mm -hmm. Um, John Boys said, he doth preach most who doth live best. Joel Beakey, (laughs) throw him in there. Our hearts must be transcripts of our sermons. Robert Murray McShane, a minister's life is the life of his ministry. That's so good. That's good. That's so good. My best, my favorite is Athanasius. The life should command and the tongue persuade. Mm. And it does reflect the reality, a biblical reality, that it is that, that the life carries the weight of the words. Yes. Yes, both of those must be there. And I've heard John say a number of times that, you can say the best things in the pulpit in a moment of silliness out of the pulpit, unwind everything you just said. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why we talked to, you know, last week, we even briefly mentioned the what's at risk, right? If we choose a man based on his giftings or based on his personality or based on some other criteria that we decide, well, what's at risk in following that rather than following the standards that God has given us? So let us encourage you if you if you missed that episode, if you didn't listen to it, go back. Uh, you can listen to this one first. That's not necessary, you know, to understand what we're talking about today. But we do recommend go back and listen to that episode because there is some good stuff in it. So now before we get into the qualifications, Chuck, we do want to mention we're not going to hit every qualification. We're not even going to really dive to the depth of a single qualification. So we're just kind of hitting those mountain peaks, right? Right, right. Uh, there, there's too many we spent, what, four weeks, I think, three, four mm-hmm. weeks on this. So, yeah, there's no way we could do that in the few minutes we have. One thing that I meant to do last week, and uh, I really want to say thanks to a commenter on YouTube, uh, he commented and just said, hey, where can I get the series that Chuck preached? And um, I should have put that link in the description. I will not fail this week. The link to the series that you've been preaching on the church will be uh, underneath this uh, episode, whether you're listening or you're watching on YouTube. So, And it'll also be on show notes. Well, and if you're going to listen for this, I should also add that one of those is missing. The audio just did not work. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I remember yeah. that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. One's missing. So um, as we think about this tonight, or tonight, <laughs> I'm thinking Wednesday night. Yeah, you are. As we think about this today, um, you know, there are areas of scripture where we have to kind of work by principle. There's not a clear command. This is how it is. But there are principles, and we can look at scripture and say, you know, this says this here, and this says this here, and the, clearly the principle is this. There are other places, though, where there are very clear commands. This is how it is. And there is, as we look at what a minister should be, 
it's not just principle. There, there's edict. There's command. Here's what he must be. The scriptures say pretty plainly several times, he must be this. Yeah, and I think that that shows too, it shows us exactly how serious God is about who these men should be, it, not should, who these men must be right. um, to to lead and to serve the bride of Christ. Yes. So uh, a couple of verses, one from Titus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. And 1 Timothy 3, 2, an overseer then must be above reproach. Both of those places emphasize this necessity. He must be these things. Yeah, and one thing that, just to go back to the must be and these these edicts, um, is, I mean, you think about why God puts things in Scripture the way that He does, and it's often, particularly in regards to this, is because we would be so tempted to adjust those standards and adjust the qualifications if we were given liberty to do so. Right. And you can think of a number of scenarios where that might happen. One is if you are looking for a pastor and it's taken a long time. And mm. so you kind of settle like this guy's pretty good. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, He's almost there. And so you, you kind of settle for a little bit less and think it's close enough. So that that's one scenario where we might be tempted to make an adjustment. You know, and I think another one is who is... We we hear a guy preach, so he he comes, you know, pulpit supply or or you know the the pulpit search committee. That's what we used to have when I was in, in a lot of my churches. Um, you know, but the pulpit supply committee they go, they hear a guy, and they think, wow, this guy can really preach. He comes to the church and he preaches a Sunday, and we think, wow, he preaches really well. This is the kind of preaching we want in the church, and we really like the preaching, or maybe we know him, we really like his character, but we. That's not the the standard. The standard is the qualifications that God has given us. Right. And so often you don't have the time to observe that or the opportunity to observe that. Right. You've, you've seen him once and time to make a decision, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that what we're talking about here is to say we should really take our time. Any church that is considering, um, I think that Elder is probably a little different case than deacons. Most of the time, deacons are you know from within the body, uh, but take your time and examine the life to make sure that these qualifications are met. And again, last week we discussed why that's so important. Yeah. So as we think then about the qualifications and not being able to get to all of them, um, one kind of in my mind is overarching above them all, and that is that he must be above reproach, mm-hmm. and the other qualifications the ones that follow, kind of fill out what does that look like. So in these areas, he must be above reproach. Yeah, so it's kind of like a few weeks ago, you and John were talking on the podcast, you know, when you you tell your kids, okay, be good at grandpa, grandma and grandpa's house. And they're like, yeah, easy, we can we can do that. And then you, you start saying, here's what be good means. Right, right. <laughs> so above reproach uh, is very general, it is a principle, but then we do get these very helpful specifics. Right. Um, so above reproach, sometimes translated blameless, still you could look at those those words and think, okay, but what does that mean? How, how do you apply that in this situation to say this person is above reproach? Um, it'd be easy to look at that blameless. That's you know, it's a high standard, but does it mean sinless? Right. It doesn't mean perfection. Right. If it means that, then who is qualified? No one. Mm-hmm. So it can't be that. What does it mean? And I do think 
John Calvin is helpful here. A quote from, I think it's his commentary from 1 Timothy. He does not mean someone who is free from every fault. For no such man could ever be found, but one marred by no disgrace that could diminish his authority. He should be a man of unblemished reputation. And so, faultless, blameless, blameless, yes, but Mm -hmm. faultless, without sin, no. But here's a person whose authority has not been diminished by his faults. You don't look at him and think, I'm unwilling to follow this man. And you're concerned that he follow Christ. You look at him, imperfections, but repenting, and he's setting the pace. Follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, and I think that that too. So you you mentioned it, um, repentant. So it's not saying that he never messes up, but when he does, there's a humility there that drives him to repentance and to turn back to Christ. So even in his failures, he is still an example to the flock. Right. And so this, I think it comes back to what we were just saying, that here's a life that does not unravel words. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Baxter, 17th century pastor, said, Take heed to yourselves. He's writing to pastors. Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. One proud, surly, lordly word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing. So, again, here's the need to be an example to the flock and set the pace. Right, and, and we see that, right? So 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. So the, the elder is that example that the flock can look to, again, not a, a symbol of perfection, but a, a, an example. And, you know, as Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what this elder does. As you look at the list of qualifications here, other than he must be able to teach, which is, is it, uh, the one kind of gifting that's mentioned within those qualifications, the character that you're looking for is character that you really expect from any believer. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't look at any Christian and say, it's okay for you not to be a one-woman man, any man, you know? Right. Um, you don't look at any Christian and say, it's okay if you're not gentle. Well, of course it's not okay. So we're not saying that... So so these are characters that you expect of any Christian, but the, the pastor is to be an example to the flock of these characters. So there's got to be some maturity there. Oftentimes when we're talking with uh, new converts, we encourage them to examine their lives in light of the Word and look for fruit, spiritual fruit. And we caution them that as they do that, we're not expecting them to demonstrate mature fruit, certainly not in every area. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're newborn babes in Christ. So we're not looking for full-blown mature fruit. But do you see an example of life? Do you see a bud when we come, though, to the, these men, we're not looking for buds, you know, not even a tree full of buds. We're looking for mature fruit. We're looking for evidence that that there's been some growth there, not that there's not room for more growth. 
but growth has occurred. Yeah, well, I mean, and even Paul mentions not to for a, an elder not to be a man that is a recent convert. Exactly. His pride puffs him up. And, and that's part of the reason why. There should be mature fruit. This is a man who's going to teach, who's going to lead. Um, and so one other thing that all of these things kind of presuppose is that these, uh, this maturity, this growth, this um, being an example is a present reality. It's not something that he can look back and say, oh, well, 10 years ago, I was doing really well in this area. Look to that example. It's today. Right. And it also does not mean that 10 years ago... I wasn't this, and so I'm disqualified today. Yeah. So, um, you know, if I were an unbeliever ten years ago, and I were no, I was known as being pugnacious, as the New American Standard says. <laughs> I was a striker. I was, I, I verbally, maybe even physically, you know, I, I was Just known a for a temper, a brawler. Yes. Um, but that's not the case today. Well, that's that's the question. What am I today? Yeah, yeah, and I, and you know, so and again, going back to what we even talked about just a few minutes ago, is this man a repenter today? Yes. You know, so it, it all of these things and all the things that we're going to continue talking about with the qualifications, these must be realities today that are observable. Um, and I know there's something that we're going to get into later on, but each of these things they are objective and observable um, from just generally knowing the, the man. Right. So we're presupposing that you do know something about the man, that you've had some opportunity to observe his life, or you know people who have observed his life and you trust their recommendation, right? Right. And and not only him, but also his his wife and his children. Right. Not not that you're examining them and, you know, let's put them under the magnifying glass, but seeing how he manages his household, because right. that is a qualification. Relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... um this removes any, I won't say it removes all subjective um, responses to an individual, but what we have to realize is that we have to take all of that subjectiveness, so personality quirks or e- even like friction between people. We're, we're all sinful people. We're going to have friction with one another. But all of that subjectiveness has to be subservient to the objective realities and the objective qualifications that God himself has laid out for an elder. Yes. Yes. Well, as we look in, as we continue looking here and uh, think about what Timothy, what Paul says to Timothy and to Titus, there's this list of areas in which a pastor must be blameless. They're not necessarily exhaustive, the list. There mm-hmm. may be other areas in which a person must be above reproach, but in these areas, he so must be above reproach. Particularly, right. Right, right. Um, and again, we don't have time to look at all of them, but there are two uh, qualifications that both kind of consider the man's domestic life, and they are both areas that Paul gives a bit of space to. He mentions them to both Timothy and to Titus, and so I think those would be two good ones to take up today. Yeah, so the first one being he is the husband of one wife. Right, which um, is also perhaps one of the more controversial ones. Mm-hmm. And, because, because, well, okay, first off, before we get into the controversy, there's what, four um, historical understandings or interpretations of that phrase. So so real quick, what are they? Yeah, I knew you would ask me that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so... That he has to be married. He must be married. He cannot be a widower. Mm-hmm. Um, he cannot be divorced. Mm-hmm. He is a one-woman man. I think those are the four. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think that's I the, those that's down, the four I? that I know of. So <laughs> yeah. If there's more, I'm sure. If there's more, you can let us know in the comments. Right. 
Yeah, and there may well be more, but those are four that are kind of historically viewed. Um, and with supporting evidence for each. You know, there are people who, who have arguments for each, and we don't have time to argue out each of those. No, but we just want to say there there are four. Um, one thing that we do want to be very certain of, and we'll, well, I'll tell you what, before we get into that, let's get into the children, uh, because he also mentions the children, because I think that uh, what I want to say is that we cannot be more severe than God, and I think we can get into that after we've kind of gone over both of these things. So what is the, the requirement when it comes to children? That they be obedient children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the, the requirement has to do with how, he, how, how the man manages his children, how he cares for them, how he disciplines them, and uh, that it's obvious that that is ongoing, that he's doing that. Um, there's a big question mark there, particularly in Titus, because Titus, in the New American Standard, um, t- Titus, Paul states to Titus, they must be believing children. And so there are people who take that to mean exactly that. They must be believing. But if you understand it that way, then you have to ask the question. There are several questions you can ask. One, does it mean he must have children? What if, what if he doesn't have kids? What if he's, he's a mature believer, but he's a newlywed? He doesn't have children. He's not qualified to be a pastor because he doesn't have children yet. Or let's say he has children, but they're newborn. Well, are they converted? You know, Not as we understand it. Um, or let's say that he was converted later in life when his children were already adults, and now he is a mature believer and and clearly is called to ministry. And they are unbelievers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's a, a question mark that um, some people have. And some people, again, interpret it to mean, well, obviously he's unqualified because they are not believing. So Paul's words to Titus, he says... Uh, specifically, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. And so having children who believe or having children who are faithful is not set against having children who are unbelievers or unfaithful, but against dissipation or rebellion. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not behaving. And so I, I believe that what he's saying is basically the same thing he's saying to Titus, uh, to, pardon me, to Timothy, that they are children who are under control. They're not rebellious. They're not, act, you know, overtly, actively rebellious. But they are children who are behaved. He's disciplining them well. Right. Exactly. He he's disciplined. He's leading them. He's training them. Um, so let's go back because we never really dove into husband of one wife um, as we did here. So uh, of those four, um, how do we how do we interpret that? And again, the four that we mentioned was, um, you know, that he has to be married, can't be a widow, or can't be divorced, and husband of one man. Or, I'm sorry, husband of of one wife. My apologies. That's a whole other view. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So we understand it as as a one-woman man. The the Greek text can be translated either way, husband of one wife or one-woman man. And you can see how translating it, husband of one wife, leads us to some conclusions and if we understand it as one woman, man, it could lead us to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, even there, though, so again, he must be married. Well, what about Paul's words to the Corinthians about you know, the, the, the good thing of being a single person in ministry? Uh, so that you have to kind of weigh those things out. If you say, well, he, he cannot be a widower. Paul also says to widows that you know, you're, you're free. 
the person has passed away. Right. I mean, the, the vow has been fulfilled. Right. And to the young widows in First Timothy, he tells them, get married. Right. So there's no stigma on remarriage. To Nor the, is there sin. Right. To the, to the widower, widower. Um, so we, we believe that understanding that there are exceptions that allow divorce, mm-hmm. that those exceptions could come into play when we consider this. But there again, the, the issue, the quality that we're looking for is above reproach. So as people observe this person's life, who perhaps has been married more than once, what do they see? And does the do they know enough about the past that that's a problem? Or has it been so recent that it's a problem? There needs to be time that has passed so that anyone who looks on would agree that person is a one-woman man. Right, and and above reproach. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in your sermon that I honestly had never thought about and it just really struck me was you can be a man who's never been divorced and you are not loving your wife well. You're not a one-woman man. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't, so it, it goes beyond just, um, just he's never been divorced, which is a, a view that I've held, uh, for, and was taught to hold for a long time. Um, but there, there's just so much depth there. It's more than just, you know, here's the cliff. And if you take one step beyond the cliff, well, that's it, you're done. But there's, it, it, it envelops a lot more of being a, a Christ honoring, Christ following husband. Yeah, if if the quali- if the the qualification is simply that you've never been divorced, then the qualification could simply be you have a wife who endures a lot mm-hmm. and puts up with you. <laughs> you know? Which and I will be my wife puts up with well, a sure, whole lot. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but it is more than you have you happen to have a wife who will endure and this guy wasn't lucky enough to have a wife that endures your constant barrage of whatever. It is that you love her so you love her well. You love her like Christ loves the church. You're an example to the flock. And she willingly and joyfully submits to you as Christ does or as the church does to Christ. Right. Yeah. So so also as we consider this issue of of marriage, you know, one woman man, um as you look at all of these qualities, their qualities or characteristics of a person that are present as we said before. And in all of the other ones we don't say that if a person was ever not that, that they're disqualified. It's, it's what are you now? But this is the one exception that many people take. You know, if you've ever been divorced, then it doesn't matter what you are now. There's this thing, and it disqualifies you forever. And if you do that, then you put this one characteristic, this one quality in a category by itself that does not fit any of the other categories. And so presently... You know, do you love your wife, assuming you're married? Are you a one-woman man? Yeah, and, you know, and one other question specifically regarding the question of divorce is, if a man was divorced before he was a believer, the Scripture is clear, once you become a believer, you are a new creation. And so, obviously, we would not expect him to have a, you know, perfectly healthy, Christ-honoring marriage before he was converted, but... After conversion, yes. So, yeah, present reality, just like we talked about before. So one of the things that we really want to emphasize as we, we wrap this uh, this episode up is that these are the standards that God has given us. We are, we are not at liberty to lower that standard, nor are we at the liberty to be more severe in the standard than God is. Yeah, so 
lowering the standards, perhaps easy to see. We, we don't want to take these and say, but there are exceptions to these standards. But being more severe, how could we be more severe? Well, one would be to expect perfection. Blameless sounds like perfection, but there is no one who is perfect except for Christ. We understand we're sinful, fallen people, and pastors are sinful, fallen people. And if you don't think that, then you know, there's a whole other conversation because you're putting men on pedestals to where they, they don't belong. They have feet of clay. Absolutely. So it's not speaking about perfection. And so we want to hold the standard and say he must be above approach without taking it to a higher level than that that God didn't mean for us to take it to. So how do we do that? And that's where I think what Calvin said is, is so helpful. You know, we're looking for a man who is not uh, dismissing his authority. He's not giving away his authority by a life that you look at and say, no, I cannot follow that man. Mm-hmm. So, Chuck, for someone who is uh, listening to this and maybe they are wrestling with a call to ministry um, and or maybe they've been in ministry for a long time, why... What encouragement can we offer them from this particularly, from these qualifications? These two specifically? Well, no, I mean, just the qualifications in general, when you approach them. And I think that pastors, I mean, so in my job, right, editing and video, editing audio and video things, um, I constantly want to go back and say, what does a good editor look like? What does good film look like? And so I constantly want to go back. And I think that even for an elder, it's so helpful to go back to these things and, and remind yourself, these are the things that God has called me to do and be. Sure. So the person who's wrestling with a call to ministry, has God called me? I think so, maybe. you know, I would think that one of the first steps would be to come to passages like these and First Peter um, and just wrestle through them. God, am I this? Are you making me to be this? Do I fit these qualifications? Are there areas that need vast improvement right now? Um, And you might also, if you're married, talk to your wife or talk to your present pastor and ask them to help you walk through these things. You know, do you see these things as evidences in my life, as qualities that are existing or which ones do you see that need improvement? And then for the person who's already serving, I would think that it would be wise to regularly come back to these and look at them again and ask the Lord, am I growing in these? Am I still presently these things? And is there growth in these things? Because I don't, I think we may have mentioned last week, you know, it's not like you study for an entrance exam, a test, and you pass, and now I don't have to care about it anymore. Well, no, you're an example to the flock. Mm -hmm. And if you want the flock to grow in these things, then how you've got to run ahead of them. And you've got to grow in these things yourself. Yeah, and I think, too, that points to uh, the benefit of a plurality of elders. Sure. You know, because if you're with a plurality of elders, then you're going to have men around you who are, go and ask them, hey, do you see me presently pursuing these things? Yes, and uh, then they are able to urge each other on, press. Right. As iron sharpens iron. So uh, that's, but for those who are not in the ministry or not, um, pursuing being a deacon uh, for the layperson, what encouragement is there for them? Well, God gives good gifts to His church, and this is what they are to look like. And so, you can ask the Lord of the church to give you these kind of men. You can and pray to for raise them. you, it, yeah, yeah, make you more like for it. Them, but, but even if you're not ever going to be that, make me more like it, sure. But raise up men who are like this. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap this episode up, do want to say. 
you know, last week, Chuck, you mentioned a three volume set by Al Martin. Um, we made sure that there was a link to that in the description. That'll be in the link uh, again in the description. There will be a link in the description again, also a link to your sermon series. And we're going to continue that series, right? So we finished Portraits of the Church, Offices of the Church. There's a few more weeks, yes. Okay, a few more weeks coming up. So all of those, minus the one where the audio messed up, will be uh, in the in the link below, whether you're listening or watching to this. Uh, next week, John and Chuck will be back, going back through Salvation Full Color. <laughs>